0: This morning, I'd like to introduce Parks Carpenter. He's going to come and tell us a little bit about Parks and his story. Thank you, Parks.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Parks Carpenter. I've been here at uh, Christ Community for about 10 years with my wife, Liz, and our three girls, Lily Kate, Charlotte, and Hadley. Um, Several weeks ago, Paul started his sermon series on Ecclesiastes When he was preaching from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 I was sitting in the congregation The first time in a long time um, Some events that have happened in my family's life over the last 16 years Made a little more sense Um, Paul was reminding us that we're not ultimately in control of any moment in our lives But God is in control of every last moment in our lives We've learned that uh, so much of life isn't beautiful, but full of weeping and mourning and death, which often leads to suspicion and uncertainty in God. Uh, as Paul was preaching, I felt the Lord uh, really speaking to me and telling me I need to come up here and share with you all. Um, I made the mistake of telling Paul right away, and I, I knew I'd not be able to take it back. So he's really, encouraged me to get up here. Um, I'm one of eight children. And when I was in second grade, our family moved to Papua New Guinea, where my parents served as missionaries with Wickel Bible Translators. My dad was a school teacher there. And uh, when I finished high school, I moved back to Georgia, where we had moved from, and uh, went to, I worked and went to college. And um, a year after I moved back in 1998, my family also came back. And um, they were back there us for one year for a furlough where they would raise support and just get to visit family and everything. Um, However, just before Thanksgiving in 1998, uh, my father collapsed and and he was rushed to the hospital and he died. He had a um, brain hemorrhage and uh, he died that day. Um, I was only 19 and it was my first taste of death of a loved one and it just really crushed me. Um, It was devastating not only for me but for my entire family. Um, You know, I'd lost my father. Uh, My mom had lost her husband. Uh, We considered Papua New Guinea our home, so we couldn't go back there anymore. Uh, So it was just really devastating for our whole family. Um, And the ripple effect it's had on our family has just been huge. Um, Initially, all I could do was look at God and ask, why would you take the father of eight kids who'd surrendered his life to serve you on the mission field? Why would you do that? Um, This led to a pretty dark time for me. Initially, I um, chose not to deal with it and just filled my time with school and work and friends and um, just an attempt to stop being emotionally overwhelmed. Um, Eventually, I had to begin to come to grips with God and what he was doing. Um, I went to some counseling, learned how to deal with my grief in a healthy way. Um, As I look back, I can see that I was learning a lot of the same wisdom we're learning uh, in Ecclesiastes right now. Um, from there, I led uh, a pretty normal life, finished up school. I was working at a young life camp, uh, met Liz, moved down here to Wilmington. Um, however, four years ago, my older brother and his wife were pregnant with their second girl and, uh, we found out she had a a congenital heart defect and, um, her chances of of survival were just not very good. Um, but she was born, she immediately had open heart surgery, which she survived Uh, miraculously and then um, she had a virus and she was 8 weeks old and um, we got news of this so we rushed home to pack our bags we're about to head up to Virginia where my brother lived and we got news that she had died Um, so on our drive um, we're just thinking God I really don't understand why would you let Gwen die Uh, why would you let her survive so much and just take her away. Um, well, on our drive to be with my brother, we got a call that my 19-year-old sister Marie had, was missing. She had um, heard the news about Gwen, and she had gone up to this scenic bluff called uh, Falling Water near a waterfall. And uh, she had dropped her glasses, and as she maneuvered to pick up her glasses, she slipped and fell off the edge. Um, this news just really shook me. To my core, Um, the shock of little Gwen's death, coupled with the horrific death of my baby sister was just too much. Uh, I just, I've got a vivid memory of just pulling over to the side of the interstate and just falling to my knees and uh, crying in a way that brought me back to the death of my father. Um, I felt that losing my father was big enough and we didn't deserve to lose anybody else. I really wrestled with God on why he would choose this for our family. Um, a few months later, Liz and I were joyfully found out we were going to have another baby. We felt like we'd been given a gift in the middle of such a hard time. Um, you know, maybe this is the Lord showing us that He's good in the middle of all this. Uh, yet, just before the second trimester, Liz miscarried. All I could think was, "Lord, I can't do this again. It's just too much. I don't understand You." Uh, you know, maybe some of you have felt this way before. Um, A few months later, my younger brother, Winship, he had been diagnosed with bipolar and is really struggling with depression. Uh, So I booked a plane ticket to go visit him. Uh, When I was less than 30 minutes away from his house, um, I got news that he had gone up to the scenic bluff of falling water, and he had jumped off the ledge. Um, it It was just numb. That was the initial feeling, just total disbelief that so much tragedy happened to our family. It's been almost four years since my brother's death. It's been a really long road to uh, recovering from that. Um, Several months ago, Liz challenged me to consider what I've learned from all the tragedy in my family, and here's a few of my conclusions. God can and he will do many things we don't want that make us question his goodness that I will never understand. I'm okay with that. This doesn't mean it won't hurt when tragedy comes again or be less confusing. It means that God is God and I'm not. It means because I know he loves me and he takes care of me. And though this is scary, nothing is off limits to God. Uh, I trust him with my life and the lives of the ones that I love. Um, Ephesians 4.11 says he has also put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot Find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Uh, this has really taught me to live with the end in mind, um, to focus on eternity. Uh, God has established a season for everything under the sun, and we don't control those seasons. Though it can be confusing, can be painful, uh, I can be joyful because he is in control. Uh, finally, Ecclesiastes 7.13 says, there is a crook in my lot. If God has made a crook or a curve in my life, I cannot make it straight. God has made things the way he thinks they ought to be. I don't have the power to overrule the Almighty. Whatever God has made crooked, man cannot make straight. Uh, I rest in the truth from God's word that he is in control of every season. He will make all things beautiful in his time. Uh, Not in my time, but in his time. Uh, my prayer is that this, uh, the events and lessons of my life might strengthen your trust in Jesus. Mm.
0: I, I don't have any doubt that some people came today just for that. So thank you, Parks. Let's uh, pray together. Lord, there are some people here today that have walked in these shoes. All the things that they would think you would think have turned out to be opposite. And maybe a heart has grown suspicious or cold or numb. I'm thankful for your faithfulness to Parks, your kindness to help him see and to trust and have faith. May his journey uh, be like a ripple effect of grace and mercy to other people here and other people he encounters through his life that are in difficult days. when when the sun's not out, that they can still trust in a God who sees all things and will make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look in your Bibles at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, chapter 11, verse 7, which is our text for this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. It's helpful to have a Bible, so if you didn't bring one, there's one around you somewhere you can look at page 559 in the pew bible and we're reading this morning the last words of the the wise old preacher because uh, verse 9 in chapter 12 through the end is really like a, a postscript or an epilogue it's a comment about what's being written so this is the the last sermon so to speak of the preacher who's been carefully dispensing his words and As you'll see, he ends the same way that he began. Chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 8, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So life is a mist. Life is a vapor. It goes by so quickly. And he's tried to give some advice in between chapter 1 and chapter 12 that can be helpful to us. And his closing comments now have this feel like a, a grandfather talking to a, 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 a grandson or a granddaughter. And, and the grandfather has some sense that this may be the last conversation we have. And so there's, there's a certain urgency in his voice because now he understands how quickly man returns to dust. And he closes with a very descriptive passage about his body breaking down. And then his eventual death. And so I want to read the the passage slowly. and we'll have a uh, time of reflection like we normally do. And then the next thing you'll see is a short video that uh, I just happened to run across last week, and I thought this this gives the mood for uh, this last sermon, especially as it closes. You think about the brevity of life and how how swiftly the days are moving towards the end so let's stand together as we read chapter 11 verse 7 through chapter 12 verse 8 verse 7 light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun so if a person lives many years let him rejoice in them all but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many all that comes is vanity Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the sun. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along. Desires fail because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. And just before the video shows, it's a, we get about halfway into the video, and it's about a couple from Bosnia. Abdullah and Shehaveta, I think is how you say her name. An older couple that in the 90s got displaced from their home because they lived in Bosnia and there was a lot of civil unrest, and they moved to Norway. And they lived there for 12 years, but then she had a series of strokes, Shehaveta. So Abdullah brings her back. And has to put her in a nursing home that's 60 miles away from his home. And he, once a week, takes a bus to visit her in the nursing home. And so the, the video is called Between Days. And so the purpose of the video is to show what he does between these days, the, the six days in between the visits and what he thinks about with his life. As I said last week, your life consists of that, that little dash. One day, our, all of our names are going to be up there or on a tombstone. And it's going to, instead of Abdullah, it's going to be Paul Phillips, and it's going to be 1963-2000 and something. And the question is, what, what are you going to do with that little dash? What kind of life are you going to live? What, how are you going to live your life w- with wisdom in this world? And that's really what the, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is offering us, how to live life wisely with this, this little dash. I, I love the artistry in the video, a clock ticking. And then an empty glass. And then these pictures of he and his wife, maybe when they had gotten married, maybe when they were 20. And what a difference. What a difference. And Abdullah looks at these things and he concedes that most of his sunny days are in the past. And, And so he writes down. I just found this fascinating. He's trying to write stuff down. Uh, obviously, as he said, to try to give it back to his children, his grandchildren, to tell, help them remember what their lives were like. But, but perhaps also, in some ways, to sort of relive a sunny day. He doesn't have many, so he, he writes it down sort of as a, a therapy. As he writes it, he remembers it, and he relives a little bit of that sunshine, Maybe he writes it down because he sees that his generation has already crashed on timeline shores. And it's stretched out and it's now quickly receding. And he can see he just has a few more days left. And maybe this is some way of saying, I was here, I mattered. And I want to write it down so so people don't forget The preacher of Ecclesiastes, he's in a similar position here in this last sermon. His generation has crashed on timelines, shores. It's quickly receding. He can see himself, the, the degradation in his body. He can see death on the near horizon instead of the far horizon. And so he takes the pulpit one last time and he he looks out over his congregation. Just one last sermon. And in this one last sermon, he particularly looks at young people. He wants to instill one, one last message. He wants to say just one more thing because he knows he's just about ready to recede. He knows he's not going to long be remembered, but you're going to stay around. And what's valuable, what's these last few uh, uh, words that he's going to say before you break the huddle for the last time? And the two words that he re- chooses is rejoice, verse 9, and remember, chapter 12, verse 1. So I want to take those two words and just think about those words from the text this morning. Rejoice and remember. And I want to take them in reverse order because he ends on such a somber note here. And I want to end on a little bit more of an exhortation. So let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Why Why in the days of youth? I mean, he could have just said, just remember your creator. It's my last sermon. Hey, don't forget your creator. But he, again, he's looking at his congregation. He's looking at the 15, the 20, the 25-year-old, the 30-year-old. And he's saying, hey, when you're young, when you're at your peak, just don't forget your creator. And there are many reasons why he might specifically be thinking about youth. One is because in the days of your youth, in many areas of your life, especially physically, you're, you're at your peak. You, you feel like you're invincible. You, everything's ahead of you. All the dreams that you have, you could possibly accomplish. And it's, it's at that point you, you can easily forget that you have a creator. Most of you have seen at least this clip of the movie Titanic. Remember? And Leonardo... He, the, the ship has, has set sail, and, and he's on the mighty, unsinkable Titanic, right? And he's a young man, and he's there with his friend, another young man. And they're at the very bow of the ship. You remember this scene? The ocean breeze is sort of in their face. The, the sun is out. The Titanic is rolling through the ocean. And what does he stand up there and say? I'm king of the world, Why why do you say that? Because at that age, that stage, that's what you feel like. You feel like you're invincible. Imagine that same movie clip with two 80-year-old guys. I'm king of the world. I mean, that just doesn't work, does it? It works with an 18, a 20-year-old guy because that's what it feels like. It feels like all the dreams are just over this bow and, and I'm unsinkable as I rush into my life. And I'm king of the world. And, and, and Solomon, the wisest, wealthiest man ever to live, looks at the young people and says, You're not the king. You have a creator. And one day, and it'll be a lot sooner than you think, You're going to face your creator. So remember your creator when you're young. Another reason to remember your creator when you're young is precisely because you're at your prime. You have the the maximum amount of time. You have the maximum amount of uh, possessions physically and, and energetically to give to eternal purposes, not Xbox. Here, here you are in your prime. And, and, and he's saying, what are you going to do with this particular moment? Don't wait for another moment. This is when you have the maximum amount of time, maximum amount of energy, maximum amount of effort, maximum amount of dreams. And he's saying, don't waste it on Xbox. Don't waste it on things that are soap bubbles. He said back in chapter 2, don't, don't get on the let the good times roll tour bus and think that wine and women and song are going to be it. Those are soap bubbles. I got off that bus and I said, it's like chasing after the wind. It's not worth anything. So really at this particular point, this particular prime moment, grab hold of something that has eternal value. Remember your creator. He's giving you certain talents. Don't bury those talents. Don't waste those talents. Give those talents to your creator. Well, we could list a lot more reasons, but let's just look at the reason the preacher gives. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say... I have no pleasure in them. Remember your creator and your youth because dark days are on the horizon. You're swiftly reaching a day when you'll have little left to give. You have the maximum amount to give now. There will be a day where you just, I need a nap. I can't do it anymore. I I can't do what I I had hoped for. I don't have the energy. I don't have the effort. And there will come a day where you say, I just don't even like these days anymore. And it seems like when you're young, you're never going to reach that day. But those days come for everybody. And the preacher, he can see it. He can feel it himself. And he's saying to the young people, those days are going to come. And while you're not in those days, while you're in the sun, use your days for eternal purposes. Billy Graham was asked by a college student, what was the most surprising thing in life? Graham's answer, the brevity of life. In verse 2, then through verse 7, very powerful, very poetic, very creative, very imaginative effort here by the preacher. Of a description of old age. Verse 2. Remember your creator. Verse 1. In your youth. Why before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are all darkened. And clouds return after the rain. Derek Kidner in his commentary gives a perfect assessment of this verse. It's a somber scene he says. Many lights are withdrawn Besides physical abilities, old friends are taken. Familiar customs change. Long-held hopes now have to be abandoned. In one's early years, troubles and illnesses are setbacks, not disasters. One expects the sky to clear eventually. It's hard to adjust to the closing of that long chapter to know now that there will be no improvement. The clouds will always gather again, and a time to to heal will no longer come. See, the preacher is standing there saying, "In my life, this is the last sermon, and I can see the lights are going out. All the things that I had grabbed onto, all the hopes that I had, they're, they're shutting. The doors are shutting down." And so while, while you're young, remember your creator because those days are quickly on the horizon. And then in a very descriptive passage, it really matches that great poem in the earlier chapters. He, he describes this spiral of old age that terminates in death. And most scholars, when you read through this, probably when you read, read through some of these descriptions, you weren't sure of them. And most, of the, most scholars believe that these descriptions are about your body in some way. So, for instance, the keepers of the house shake. Your hands begin to tremble when you get older. Strong men are bent. Your legs, your back, your shoulders—the strength of your your core begins to to weaken, and as you weaken, instead of being upright at 25, you're you're bent over. Grinders cease because they are few. What is that? You lose your teeth. The grinders cease. You just start, you lose your teeth. Can't do a lot of grinding. Eat a lot of Jello and oatmeal. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. You lose your eyesight. One rises up at the sound of a bird. Means you're always up early. You're a light sleeper. You're at KW at 5.30 in the morning when it opens with all your other friends. Why? Because you can't sleep. Sorry, KW. I love KW. Daughters of song are brought low. What was that you said? I can't hear the singing anymore. My, my grandfather had false teeth and couldn't hear. And it really didn't matter until about 9 o'clock at night, and he'd come into the den when you were over. Okay, everybody, I'm going off the air. Any last thing you want to say? No, granddad, nothing to say. So he walks back, takes out his teeth, takes off his hearing aid. And so what a sight he was. And then he'd come back with the little, you know, white tank top on and his boxers and black socks pulled up. And he'd come back into the den and he'd try to have one more conversation. Well, he was talking real loud because he couldn't hear himself. And, of course, you know, it's just bumping, he's just bumping his gums. You're like, great grand. I mean, you know, he can't hear you. So that, that's, that's this picture. This is the preacher. He, he's take, he realizes, I can't hear that much. I can't hear that well. I don't have many teeth left. I get up early. I, I, I can't function like I used to because my body's bent over. And I, I'm, I'm mounting the pulpit one last time. And I'm looking specifically at the youth and saying, these days, they're coming for you. And maybe they seem like they're on the far horizon, but now is the time to capture something for your creator. And don't waste your life. Don't waste your youth. They're afraid of what is high, terror in the way. You, you become unstable on your feet. You're afraid of falling. The almond tree blossoms, which is a white blossom. Your hair turns white. And I love this one. The grasshopper drags itself along. What a great description. Oh, what bad news for you weekend warriors on the basketball courts. You lose your jump shot, dude. You no longer leave the ground when you do your jump shot. It just, you know, it looks like a set shot every time. You just can't move like you used to, and then your desires fail. Probably a a thought of physical and sexual appetite. These twin engines when you were young. They they never could be satisfied. Now you get to the point where you don't want either one of them. Finally, the spiral ends in this very descriptive couple of verses, verse 6, in death. Here's how he describes it. The silver cord is snapped. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. The wheel broken at the cistern. This wheel that used to wheel up life breaks. He devotes really quite a bit of time here to the end of his life. Trying to get this just right, to pick out just the right description here. And finally, just to conclude, life is a vapor. It's a vanity. It's quickly moving away. And so he wants this image to be fixed in your mind. This is the very last thing he's leaving you with. This is not a real uplifting end to a great book here but he he wants that fixed in your mind especially if you're a young person so you use your days well when you're in the sun use those days well so let's think about let's have this picture fixed in our minds and let's go back then to verse 7 and 8 and think about his exhortation to us verse 7 and 8 chapter 11 the light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. See, this is it's there are some wonderful days. So if a person lives many years, let let's just rejoice in all the years you have. But remember the days of darkness, they're on their way. So rejoice, O oh young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. There are days, there are months, there may be even years when the sun is out and and there 's a, a clarity of purpose here. Your life is relatively uncluttered you have you have as much energy as as many dreams as you have, you feel like your energy can match the dreams that you have you 're going to go for it and 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 the, and I feel like this is the Preacher's way of, of coming up beside these people and saying, There is a time for every activity in heaven, a time to embrace, a time to laugh, a time to dance. When you're in that day, spread your arms open wide and grab as much of that as you possibly can. Rejoice, he says. In the Hebrew, it's samach, which means, well, it means rejoice. That's what it means. That's why they translated it rejoice. It means rejoice. It means blow open your life to all this that God wants to give you in these particular days, because dark days are on the horizon. Don't wish your youth away. Don't wish your youth away. If you're if you're a senior in high school, don't wish the whole year away trying to get to be a freshman in college. What a waste. If you're a senior in college, don't wish the year away. Can't wait until you get out. Oh, please don't do that. If you're 25, don't wish you were 30. If you, don't, don't wish it away. Don't live your life looking around the corner. Rejoice, but not just rejoice. Let your heart cheer you on. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. And I think this is the, the preacher's way of, of looking at the young people and saying, go for it. Carpe diem. Seize the day. This, this is the day the sun is out. So seize this day. Seize this moment. He, he's, he's trying to, to, to reach into the soul of the young person in his congregation and, and pull out that dream. Pull out that vision. And fan it into some big flame. One commentator says the preacher specifically mentions the heart and the eyes because they are the organs of desire. His advice to the young is to pursue whatever you want to do. Don't wait or it'll be too late. Pursue whatever you want to do. Don't wait or it'll be too late. So I want to close with just a point of clarification on this point and then an exhortation. The old man standing behind the pulpit. He's, he's firmly fixed in your mind that there are dark days on the horizon. They, they're swiftly approaching. He's trying to get you not to waste your days. And so he says, just, just reach when the sun's out, reach out as far as you can. Dream as big as you can. Go for it as strongly as you can. But probably there's one point of clarification, and it should be obvious, that the preacher is not giving this advice if it feels good, do it. That's not what he's saying. Although if you just take it out of context, it can feel like that's what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. You know that because back in chapter 2, he said, I tried that, and that's like chasing after the wind. You also know it because he says in verse 9, he, he creates this divine boundary for our behavior. Walk in the ways of your heart the, and in the sight of your eyes. But then what does he say? But. Here's this boundary he sets down. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. See, I, I want you to reach out as far as you can. I wanna, want you to rejoice and enjoy as much as you can. But know, but know there's a day you'll face your creator. It feels a little bit like the dad who's letting the teenage daughter go out on a date. So the young man comes to the house and you look at the two and you remember when you were eighteen. And you say with a little grit in your teeth, have fun. Better not you know, you you're thinking a lot of things as a dad. But but you really as 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 for your your son or your daughter, you want to say, Enjoy these these are wonderful days. The sun is out. You you two feel like you're just two massive magnets coming towards each other. Rejoice, have fun, reach out and grab hold of all life can give you. But when you come back, I'll be sitting here wanting to play by play. It feels a little bit like that. So I want you to rejoice, but you are precious cargo to me. So I'm putting a boundary so you don't destroy yourself. So God has created an incredible world to go out and rejoice, but he said there's certain boundaries you've got to live in because you're precious. And so I set a divine boundary. Finally, a point of exhortation. Verse 9, as I said, I think is a way of the preacher one last time looking into the eyes of, of a young person and trying to see a dream, trying to see a desire, trying to see some kind of this divine spark and trying to fan that fl- into a flame. And he's, he's trying to say, go for it. Don't, don't waste a single sunny day. He's trying to pull out of this young person's soul. What, what's your dream? What's your desire? What's your vision? You, you see, what, whatever your eyes see, what do you see for yourself? What is it that you're longing for? What goal are you trying to attain? And he's trying to pull that out of, out of, out of yourself, and he's trying to fan that in the flame and say, "Go for that, Go for that." These, these are the days to try to do that. And so as the preacher, I'm, I'm looking out at the young people this morning, I'm asking the same question: What's your passion? What's your dream? What's your desire? What do you see for yourself? Now, now I'm trying to fan that into flame. Go for it. Don't waste any sunny days. In the fall of 1986, I was 23 years old. And I was in a car going up to Appalachian State with an older friend of mine, who was going to speak at one of the campus organizations there. I think it was InterVarsity or Campus Crusade. And so we went up there. We had dinner with some of the leaders. And then he spoke, probably 7, 7.30 meeting. And he stood up and spoke, and I sat in the back of the auditorium. And my heart just burst into flame. i said that's what i want to do the rest of my life i want to tell people in a winsome relevant passionate way about christ now i couldn't imagine how i was going to get from the back of the auditorium to the pulpit and i wouldn't have imagined the journey that i was on but that was the that was the vision that's given fuel to everything i've done for 28 years And he didn't know, but he was pulling something out of me, a vision that he could see that I couldn't see for myself. So so what is it for you? What's your dream? What's your passion? What's your desire? Trying to pull that out and say, go for that. And my concern is that maybe you would allow fear to keep you from pursuing your dream. And I pray that you wouldn't. I pray that you wouldn't be like the football team that spends the whole time in the huddle while they're on the field. That, that, that you've huddled up and you're trying to figure out what your dream or desire is, but, but you've got some message in your head that says, Paul, you can't do that. Somebody from your past, some important person gave a message to you and you keep playing it in in order over and over and over again saying, hey, you'll never accomplish that. And you just let fear stop you from ever running your play. Or you have a play and then you look at the, d- the defense and you go, wow, some scary people over there. I'm not sure I'm ready to break the huddle. Oh, don't let that fear stop you. Or you say, well, I've got a play design, but maybe it's not the perfect play. And you spend your whole time on the sand trying to redesign the play. But you never, in your whole life, you never run your play. Please, don't spend your whole life in a huddle. Go run a play. Get creamed. It's okay. Why? Because you have the energy to get back up. I don't have the energy to get back up anymore. But you do. You can get mowed over and say, well, that didn't work. Let's huddle up and try another one. Just keep going for it. Don't, don't let fear, don't let fail failure stop you. And I'm so concerned that you might be 40 or 50 or 60 years old and you tried that when you were 25 and you got mowed over and you just went to the sidelines. You tried your play, and whatever happened, for whatever reason, it didn't work. You got injured. You went to the sideline, and you spend the rest of your time never getting back on the field. What a waste. What a waste. The whole the preacher is saying, you don't have as many sunny days left, but you got some. And you know what God says in Joel? He can restore the years the locust has eaten away. Amen. And so even if you're 40 or 50, dust off the old dream. And say, God can restore years that have, I've been just sitting on the sideline. It's time for me. This is the day the sun is out. Go for it. Because the days are, are quickly approaching. Like Abdullah, when you sit in your apartment alone, you're bent over, the glass is empty. Let's pray together. Lord, this is uh, your message. To the preacher three thousand years ago, now to, to me and these people today. Park's testimony right alongside this sermon is is no accident. This video of a man who's now finished his dash. Every person here given their seat this morning for you to specifically look into their soul and hear you say, I made you for a divine purpose. May Every, all the 350 here just burst into flames as they leave here today. Whether it's for, for one month, a year, 60 years. While the sun is out, use their, their prime time, their prime energy for things that are going to matter for millions of years. Not for 20 years. Not for retirement. You, you do your work, I pray, in every soul. In Jesus' name, amen.